lots of lousy businesses. And there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job over the years has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio. From the AM640 studios in Toronto. With Hi-Fi portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning, Toronto. Welcome to another edition of Hi-Fi Radio. Hey, guess what? Jack decided to join us today, back from another vacation. It's just not the same when Jack's away, Jack. I'm telling you, you're messed, my friend. Uh, small business owners, turn up your radio. Okay, get out of bed, turn up your radio. You want to pay attention. This is very, very important to small business owners. Uh, we have BDO, along with our lineup, uh, BDO coming in the studios this morning uh, to discuss potential changes to taxation at the private business level. And there's a lot of those private business in Canada, north of a million of those. So we're going to find out what the potential changes are with BDO, followed by Watson, IBM, its new project, Watson. Uh, it is so smart, Spock would have been impressed. We're going to learn all about what IBM has been up to. Big Blue continues to innovate, followed by a trip to London, Michael Quatch, our strategist, ex-JP Morgan. Cat is here to talk to us about North Korea and Donald Trump, fire and fury on Hi-Fi Radio. Well, without further ado, let's talk tax. That's what we want to do on a Saturday morning at around 7.05 with BDO. Courtney Gilmet is CPA, CA manager of tax. Lots of expertise under her headline. And Justin Mastrangelo, another CPA and CA senior manager, domestic tax with BDO, are here in the studio to talk to us about potential changes to tax legislation for private businesses. So I want to thank you very much for joining us, boys and girls. Thank you very much, and uh, good morning. It's a pleasure to be uh, be on your show. Yeah, we're going to have some fun, um, and yet we have to uh, prepare ourselves. Um, so uh, there has been much talk in the last 60 days, Justin and Courtney, uh, about tightening up some of the benefits, the ancillary benefits that small business owners currently have. Uh, and I think much of this attack is also on um, uh, professional corporations, uh, lawyers and the likes who... Uh, were able to incorporate, uh, what, 10 or 15 years ago and uh, had a lot of benefits as small businesses, per se, that may lose those benefits. So can you please uh, share with the audience, specifically small business owners, what they may be in for if this legislation goes through? What are the highlights? Uh, absolutely. So I'll start by saying, yeah, just as you said, if you're a small business owner, um, you know, private company owner, this is really going to affect you. These changes are very, very substantial and could have a very significant impact, you know, on your business. So what happened is, as many of you are probably aware, and if you're not, you know, the Department of Finance on July 18th, they issued uh, a consultation paper. They made reference of this in their last budget. And this consultation paper, typically what that is, is they say, hey, you know, here are some changes that we're thinking about. You know, give us your thoughts on them. And this specific consultation paper was much more dramatic as it, as it also included, you know, draft legislation saying, which, which is basically the Department of Finance saying, hey, we're ready to act. You know, here are three substantial changes that we'll talk about, and we're ready to act on them. And, and they keep referencing in this paper, it's very interesting, you know, they, they reference the fact that, you know, employees, you know, should pay the same tax as, you know, a small business owner or an entrepreneur, right? And, and, and so what they're getting at in some of these changes is really trying to clamp down on some of the, you know, what I think are just, you know, standard, you know, standard, tax planning strategies within the realm of the act as they stand right now. 
And a lot of their proposed changes are really demotivating for entrepreneurs and small businesses in Canada. And I think that's very significant. And that's why I think if you're a small business owner, you really have to take note here because it's very, very significant. I'll give you a couple stats, right? This is from Stats Canada. So as of December 2015, the Canadian economy totaled 1.17 million employer businesses. Of these, 98% were actually small businesses. So 98% of those were small businesses. Of those small businesses, uh, they they actually employed 70% of the private labor force. And, and why is that significant when we're talking about tax changes? Because entrepreneurs, small business owners, they take risks. They're different than employees. They may risk their house. They may risk their family. They may mortgage their, they may mortgage everything. They don't get sick days, right? Entrepreneurs, they create jobs for our economy, right? And, and, and these changes really, really clamp down on, 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 on small business owners. Justin, let, let, let me just review those facts. Yep. So there's about a million small businesses in Canada. Uh, yep, yeah, a court. Yeah, roughly a yes. million small businesses that employ seventy percent of the private labor force in Canada. Correct. Which equates into how many bodies? About eight million people. Eight point about eight point two million people. So, so, so truth be told, this is going to affect the employers of about eight million people. Absolutely. Which means these employers may not be so happy one Monday when they come back to work. Employees, be aware. Yeah. And, I'll, <laughs> and I'll and I'll, and I'll give you another point. You you mentioned absolutely. You mentioned. You mentioned professional corporations. I'll give you another quote that the president of the OMA Association, he, he stated publicly in a newspaper. So what's the OMA Association? Uh, it's for doctors, the like Ontario Medical Association. Mm-hmm. So doctors. So you mentioned professional corporations. Significant impact you know, on professional corporations. He said, if implemented, these proposals will make Canada an undesirable place to practice. Mm-hmm. And that's significant. Doctors save lives, right? Doctors, this is very significant. So this cannot be taken lightly. My kid was just a sick kid's. He had a bolt put into his elbow, and they did a fantastic job. I couldn't imagine if that team of doctors wasn't there. Uh, we had to pay some bills around here, uh, sort of like a tax uh, on free broadcast. But that's okay. Uh, you're good people. You're teaching us how to manage our tax, okay? Stay tuned, folks. More coming up with BDO and the taxation on private small businesses in Canada. Important stuff. Stay tuned. Money. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. One for you, 19 for me. Isn't that the case? Well, 54% is what I give to the big Fed in our country, so... 54 for them, 46 for me. Doesn't sound that motivating. Uh, Justin and Courtney from BDO are here in the studios. And hey, if you're just waking up, Jack is back. Turn up your radio. Listen to what Jack's got to say as well. Jack Hartle, of course, my right-hand man, taking half the summer off. He doesn't want to pay tax either. Work less and pay less, I guess. Eh? Well, that's what, that's, that's, that's what exactly happens. That's what's going to happen is the disincentive to work right now. Or you become a broadcaster. We don't, get, we don't get paid in broadcast. Great walk-up walk music, by the way. If <laughs> I was a baseball player, that would be my walk-up song. <laughs> One for you, 19 for me. And on that note, I'll say good morning, Toronto. This is Courtney Gilmet here. And I just wanted to run you guys through some of the tax changes that were in the Department of Finance's uh, consultation paper. I don't want to bore you too much on Saturday morning. You might fall back asleep. So get your coffees out. Um, the finance paper talked about income splitting which is when a small employer is redistributing income among family members. Um, So there's three areas that the paper touched on, which is tax on that split income, 
constraining the lifetime capital gains exemption and improving the integrity of the tax system in the context of income sprinkling. Before you carry on, Courtney, I just want to ask you one quick question. This income splitting, do the children have to actually work to get the income or they just get to split it? They just get to split it. Ah. Um, so there are currently rules surrounding um, preventing children under the age of 18 um, from being able to split income. And those rules are called the kitty tax rules. Mm-hmm. So these rules are trying to expand those rules a bit further for adult children over the age of 18. Um, and so finance has proposed a couple of different options for adult children between 18 and 24, and then additional rules for children over the age of 24. Um, I would say just looking at these new rules that are coming in, the legislation that has been proposed, um, Courtney, what's going to happen with some of the structures, I guess, that you set up for some of your clients? How are you guys going to look at unwinding those? Sounds like it's going to be a busy fall season for you guys, potentially. Yeah, so these rules are attacking uh, family trusts. Okay. So we've put a lot of those plans in place for corporations um, to allow to allow small business owners. I have one of those. Yeah, yeah. No, so it's going to impact people quite a bit. Yeah. So can, can those trusts be unwound uh, relatively easily, or is it going to be uh, headaches and, and a bunch of nonsense there are, for your clients? There are going to be some headaches. Yeah. The, <laughs> the rules that they're putting in place, they've allowed some transition rules, which they're going to have in 2018 on an undisclosed day yet as to how those unwinds are going to work. And yeah. and so it sounds like there's a lot of um, questions still in the air, at least until the legislation goes through. Yeah, well, and it's, and it'll tell you, it'll, it's, it'll be different for every client-specific situation. Just because these new rules are coming into place won't necessarily mean you have to just jump and unwind your structure. Right. So that's important, right? You just don't have, it's not that we have to take, take apart every trust, but on a client-by-client basis, you may say, well, is this trust, is there any benefit to me having this trust anymore? And, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll say that, you know, it does. It depends on everybody's situation. But the income splitting that Courtney mentioned is is, is significant, right? So, so and, one, I say one of the most important things that your clients can do and any small business owner can do at this juncture, especially if the legislation goes through, uh, review your the structures that you have set up, make sure that they're efficient, and uh, at a, if they're not efficient, uh, obviously adjust them accordingly based on legislation, but don't do anything too preemptively uh, until you actually see what the playing field looks like. Does that make sense? Yeah, we've had tons of clients calling us. Good point. Um, just to discuss what the changes might be for them. And yeah. I recommend that to anybody who has this type of structure. If you haven't talked to your accountant, you probably should. You just be proactive, I guess, right? Yeah. The House of Lords. Do you know the House of Lords, boys and girls in the studio here? It's a hair salon on uh, Young and Wellesley. It, it's a Toronto landmark. It's been in business for over 50 years. And, and he's been s- using social media uh, to, to complain about his current taxation before this proposal and how punitive it has been to him. And to the point where, I guess, his, his Toronto city taxes for his business and the piece of land that he owns became too punitive that he could no longer successfully operate the business or make it worth his while he's shutting the place down. It is a brand of, 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 of extraordinary proportions, uh, uh, steeped in, 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 in Toronto uh, rock and roll culture history, I must say. Uh, so the House of Lords shutting down, uh, <laughs> unbelievable because of tax. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we certainly don't have a uh, we don't have a tax problem. We're taxed punitively, and they're they're looking at obviously taxing where they can because of you know like you mentioned last week. I think resources uh, in Canada, you know, less resources being exported, and we have NDP and Green Party out in BC, and they're very unbusiness friendly so they have less tax revenue coming from there so they're they're looking at the low-hanging fruit and like you said that comes from the productive people in society and they're the entrepreneurs unfortunately that are getting hit and the professionals and they're the people that we need uh to create business and to uh, you know grow the economy and overall if you do that you're gonna get a higher tax uh base to, to grow from right 
Yeah, uh, we're gonna have to bring. We're gonna have to stay on top of the story with you. So, can I ask that you come back into the studio, perhaps as there's further development, so we can continue to inform the uh, listener about uh, what they can do. Hopefully, there as you go through this, uh, Justin and Courtney, that you're gonna be able to find. I'm not gonna use the word loopholes, but alternative methods of maintaining a reasonable payout for yeah. business owners. Hopefully, there's something that can be done. Um, prescribed rate loans, by the way, not being attacked. I hope. Oh, it'll depend on the situation, right? It'll, it, it really will depend on the situation in terms of um, what some of the proposed legislation is. There are still some some strategies out there that, that would still work, right? But now it'll be a matter of de- determining what happens from the consultation paper. So one thing I'll add, or that we'll add before we wrap up, is if this does affect you, we're encouraging, like they've they've given a window until October 2nd. So what can you do, you may ask? Well, yes. until October 2nd, you can write letters to the Department of Finance. You can go write letters to your MP. We're encouraging all our clients to do these type of things, to say, hey, this is how it affects me. This is not beneficial for me, and I don't. And this is why I'm against this. And mm-hmm. so we're encouraging all our clients to do this. Go see your MP. BDO, our firm, is putting te- together a submission to the Department of Finance, along with a lot of the other accounting firms out there, that says this is why this isn't fair. And there are a lot. There's a lot of other cha- proposed changes that we even you know we haven't had the time to get into. And I'm sure we, you know, we'd love to come back and, and talk about them um, with, with you, uh, that especially how things develop between now and October 2nd yep. in, in terms of where this is going, because this is going to be very significant. Yeah, I was say, it's, not, it's not a tax problem. It's a spending problem that government has, but uh, I'll let you yeah. wrap up here. No, without a doubt. But like, you know, I, wrote, I wrote to our prime minister, I wrote to Kathleen Wynne, and I wrote to the mayor of Toronto, and I complained about tax twice, not once, twice. Guess who responded? No one. Coming up next, folks, we're going to move to IBM and learn all about Watson with Deborah Landers right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. Fire Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM 640. Welcome back. Good morning, Toronto. Good morning, Ontario. Good morning, Canada. Good morning, the world. Yes, it is a flat world. And well, hey, you can stream us. You can hear us anytime, anywhere. And that's the beauty of this day and age. Because technology just allows the advancements to continue at record pace. And as such, Big Blue is back in the studio dealing with Watson. Who's Big Blue? It's IBM. Deborah Landers, Vice President of Cognitive Solutions. I asked Deborah off air, what does cognitive mean? Just so I know, it's the process of knowing and perceiving, according to Jack's little Wikipedia check, who's back, by the way, from vacation again. <laughs> uh, yes, so Deborah, thank you very kindly for joining us to share with us Project Watson. Well, uh, my pleasure, Wolfgang. Thanks for having me. Are you enjoying doing some radio with us? I am. It's, uh, have, it's have, you done, a, have you done radio before? Uh, I did one radio interview back oh, several years ago, my 20s, when I was doing a, um, a work assignment in France, and I managed to do it in French, but don't ask me to do that today. So, so the, your last broadcast appearance was in France, in French, uh, when you were in your 20s. Yeah. Wow. Why do you want such a beautiful medium? It really is. Uh, well, I'll have to come back again. You know, theater of the mind. Absolutely. R- truly, you know, when I hear the word Watson, theater of, the, theater of the mind does kick in because I think of something very intelligent. Uh, it's a fantastic brand. Uh, but l- l- let's peel back the onion to find out what kind of steak is beneath that sizzle. So what is Project Watson uh, all about? 
So Watson is, uh, this has been something that IBM's been involved in for, for many, many years, starting in our research organization. I think uh, many of you were introduced to Watson when it won Jeopardy back in, uh, in 2011. And, Jeopardy, uh, was I thought the guy from Cheers won Jeopardy, Doc. Uh, Cliff Clavin? Yeah. <laughs> I thought one time. Well, I, unfortunately, Cliff wasn't available yeah. to uh, to compete with Watson. Did Watson, back did, Watson didn't go up against Cliff, eh? He did not. Oh, okay. He went up against okay. Ken Jennings and the oh, right. yeah. uh, and uh, and actually uh, he Watson went up against Ken Jennings and uh, and actually won, which was a, a great test case for the first instantiation of something like Watson in the in the cognitive uh, of the cognitive era. And so we've been working to to take that base and enhance it through our research and our development organization, through industry expertise, uh, and through our services and our ecosystem of partners to be able to extend that capability much more broadly and bring it into to many, many new kinds of applications. So, so give us some uh, early morning digestible applications for Project Watson. Yeah, so let me, um, maybe I can just position what Watson is first. Sure. Would that work? Yep. And, then I, and then I can talk about some of the applications of it. So um, I'm sure you're hearing all kinds of things about artificial intelligence, probably having lots of folks speaking about it with you. And um, so I want to position that in cognitive computing and then how Watson fits in and, again, how we're using it. So artificial intelligence, the way I always differentiate it from cognitive computing is artificial intelligence I see as being a science in the realm of, of computer science. One that's been around for many years. When I did my computer science degree, we did artificial intelligence. Uh, went a little bit into the tech penalty box for a bit because we didn't have the bandwidth and, and systems capability needed to really do the, the, um, you know, the deep computing of the analytics algorithms that are behind these kind of things to really make them uh, ready for prime time, if you will. Well, back over the, over the last few years, this science has really come to fruition with things like natural language processing, so the ability for computers to understand and process language as we do. Uh, machine learning, the ability for um, c computation to be done and improved as uh, results are had and verified or, or um, uh, found to be wrong or whatever in the computer learning and, and enhancing those kinds of things. Is that like Bitcoin mining? Uh, I'm not familiar enough with Bitcoin mining to to know the answer to that, but the the um, the, the machine learning is this you know constant improvement of the algorithm through saying yes that's right no it's not and I'll come to the health you know when we mm -hmm. talk about healthcare a bit and and how we worked with oncologists in the cancer arena um, that was a very important that, that expertise is a very important part of it so the science of artificial uh, intelligence is used so. We, we use that science. We invest in it heavily in our research organization. We work with a lot of universities around the world as well. And we that AI science and machine learning, natural language processing, those sorts of things are encompassed in what we call cognitive computing, um, which is the ability for um, uh, to build systems that have cognition, as you defined it, so that are able to sense things, to learn, to interact in natural language, to and to do that on massive amounts of data, which is the new natural resource upon which, um, you know, businesses and Is it what resource? The new natural resource data, right? That's the new resource. The new upon, natural resource it is. data. It's that, you know, competitive differentiation over time has been gone to those who have best been able to mine the things that were natural so, resources. I say, so now, how much of this information is just on the web versus how much of it is proprietary for someone like IBM or Google or, you know, any, any of the major tech companies? Right. So, um... So that's an it depends, right? It depends on the application. So sure. what we focused on was taking the science of artificial intelligence and turning it into a set of computing capabilities that are AI plus analytics, 
uh, other advanced computing capabilities and making those available to multiple kinds of applications to apply against a broad variety of data that are primarily focused on enterprise level kind of use cases. So not uh, sort of in-home gadgets or anything like that, but real enterprise level use cases that are using massive amounts of data. So um, the use case that we tested with Jeopardy was the massive ingestion of data, the natural language processing and, and, and so on. And then after that, we went in, took, uh, took Watson and took, uh, took it to medical school, right? So, um, Oncology was the first use case that we went after where there's massive amounts of data from research that's going on. There's massive amounts of patient data, trials, uh, clinical trials, those sorts of things. And there, um, we used the Watson discovery kind of capability to look at um, being able to um, learn more from that data and therefore give oncologists more insight into kind of research they may be able to use, diagnostics that had worked for others in the past and so mm -hmm. on. Um, as we were doing that, we decided to turn it from being a computer or a system into a platform upon which multiple kinds of applications can be delivered. And that's a differentiation uh, that we think is, is a really important one because in order to get it to scale and really be able to take industry advantage of these things, it's important that it can be brought into multiple kinds of applications. Elon Musk's billion dollar crusade to stop the AI apocalypse. I want to ask that question, talk about that right after we run a few commercials. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. That's what I want. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. That's what I want. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Elon Musk's billion-dollar crusade to stop artificial intelligence. Mark Zuckerberg argues against Elon Musk's view of artificial intelligence and says, no, he's more of a glass-half-full guy. In the studio, we got Deborah Landers, Vice President, Cognitive Solutions with IBM. So, Deborah, uh, Watson, Project Watson, which is uses artificial intelligence, uh, has been, you've done a lot of work in the space of oncology. Uh, share with us then uh, how you applied it to oncology and what the outcome was. Uh, hence, the matter of probabilities, because I think ultimately that's what's going on here. Uh, we're trying to increase probabilities. Exactly. The whole point of what we're trying to do with cognitive computing, rather than t talking about artificial intelligence, we call it augmented intelligence. Mm. It's taking the, the data that's available, uh, you know, internally and externally, and the expertise of, of a few and making it available to the many, right? So it's getting scale of that expertise. So the target in healthcare, for example, you know, Watson will never be an oncologist, right? It never will be. But but if it can help that oncologist get access to research and access to knowledge about clinical trials that have gone on other parts in the world and help match that to other patients like their patient and expedite finding of an outcome, that's the kind of, of lift that we're looking for. That makes sense. So we're not looking for Watson to replace the doctor, we're looking for Watson to make that very busy doctor's time more effectively used in improving the likelihood of a positive outcome for their patient. So, so, that's so when you target. look at the data input uh, based on your oncology study, uh, it was an input of a number of doctors. Is that correct, Deborah? Um, so again, multiple sources. Yeah. So there's a lot of research available, obviously, and and cancer. There's I, I'm going to get the number wrong, but I'll be directionally correct. You know, twenty thousand 
you know, new research studies a month kind of thing on, in research around the world. Right. And, and, you know, huge number. I, really? I, I, 20, don't don't, don't yeah, quote yeah, me on the number, big, please. Eh? I'm sure it's not. I'm sure I'm yeah, not accurate no, on the number. Sure. But it's a huge number. Research going on Every all month. over the world. Every month, mm. every day, in cancer, different languages, mm-hmm. right? So, so you know, you also want to be able to take ad- advantage of things in other languages. Of and, and Watson can understand eight or nine languages now. It can read in different languages and help bring those things together. So, the thought is bringing that data together, and then it has to be vetted by experts, right? It is not a no. magic black box. So, you get that data. Mm-hmm into a form that can be combined to find hypotheses, and then it brings the hypothesis and it and and experts say yes or no, this is this is accurate for my patient or not. And then more data comes in, you know, over time, and the the uh, veracity of the hypothesis improves and the algorithms by which that data is being analyzed improves. So that's the kind of the what's behind the cognitive computing, right? It it understands, it gets a bunch of data, it understands it. It reasons and finds hypotheses about that data. It learns as it tests that hypotheses and as new data comes in and is applied to those hypotheses. And then it interacts with human beings in a way that makes that data available to them in a much more consumable manner than if they had to read thousands of research articles and call colleagues from around the world asking about clinical trials, for example. But it's in, not just in healthcare, multiple industries. Sure. So how widely has this been adopted, I guess, in healthcare, just because we're on the topic of healthcare? Pretty, so we'll- bro- pretty broad in healthcare. Um, uh, and healthcare, of course, is one which you're going to take your time and and get you know get it right get yeah. it right and sure. build build the expertise over time but it's in in we're use it's being used in in diabetes um parkinson's is an interesting one because there's a canadian story the ontario brain institute and uhn here uh are working with us to um help with um uh drug repurposing thoughts around parkinson's the, so the the movements clinic at uhn and 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 obi and us are looking for how to you know, find new things about drugs and find opportunities to repurpose drugs for Parkinson's. So there's use cases um, like that. So there's a, a, a breadth of them that you can read about on our uh, on our web of places that we're applying. And then again, healthcare is is uh, I think we're in uh, uh, over 20 industries now where we've got real use applications that are that are taking advantage of this uh, this kind of technology capability. Just, so, I was going to say, just one other thing. I think the Elon Musk story, the, the, the issue that he has, just going back to it, is that he sees, you know, the, the Terminator type scenario where the machines take over. Um, I think that's sensationalizing things a lot. But I just want to get your perspective. How far are we away from, uh, I guess, the disruption of uh, a, or AI and allowing it to, um, you know, uh, not take over, but uh, disrupt multiple jobs and take away, I guess, human productivity for for lack of a better term okay so i'll tell you i I lose not one second of sleep worrying about the machines taking over okay Um, you know maybe maybe you know who knows but i you know that that is not something we see and certainly something not something that we are uh um that we are targeting as i mentioned earlier what we're trying to do is augment capabilities it sounds like you're just i would say what it sounds like is the 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 technology allows us all to be more productive with the resources that we have exactly and we're creating so much data every day Right? There's so much data available. If you think about it, um, 80% of most enterprises' data is what we call dark data, data that we can store, move around, things like videos and texts and tweets and uh, ledgers and things like that, uh, files and filing cabinets, PDF files, things that we've able, know, been able to store and, and manage but really haven't been able to utilize with respect to, to any kind of deep analytics. Well, it allows those kind of things. So you now have you know, 80% more data right? Or four times more data, mm-hmm. I guess, 80% of your data that's now available to you. Uh, there's all this data that's growing through social media, through all of our electronic interactions and so on. 
all these things, the amount of sharing that we're doing around the world in some of these things. So it is allowing those things to be effectively used. And again, the thought is to augment human capability. And we believe it'll be a net positive with respect to, to job creation and job enhancement. It'll allow somebody who's a, a customer support rep to perhaps be uh, productive in a month instead of six months because hmm. they'll know this, they'll have yeah. access to this use faster. If you look at what H&R Block was doing with it in, in, you know, in U.S. taxes, it's allowing them to get more junior tax preparers uh, you know, because Watson is also part of the interaction, you know, there's not as much of a training cycle on some of those things. So it lifts, you know, it's lifting as the value. Pr- productivity is one of the biggest inputs in, in, in the creation of wealth. So I think that Absolutely. we should all be for it. Well, I'll tell Absolutely. you, minimum wage, if they, if they raise minimum wages in, in uh, Canada, <clears throat> which is like they're going to, excuse me, uh, I believe Loblaws came forth and said there will be more machines at the checkout counter. So uh, higher higher minimum wage will certainly cost people their jobs, and they'll put a machine in its place with a scanner. Mm-hmm. Deborah, dark matter for our gray matter on a Saturday morning. Deborah Landers, Vice President, Cognitive Solutions with IBM. You really certainly taught us an awful lot, and you stretched that gray matter just a wee bit this morning. Thank you very kindly for that. We're going to have to bring IBM folks back on too there, Jack. We just like our guests. We'd like to bring them back. Folks, coming up next, we're going to take a trip to London, talk to Michael Quach, see what his view is on Trump versus North Korea. I'm going to promise you one thing, folks. Fire and fury on Hi-Fi Radio. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640. Oh, Joe Strummer, The Clash. What an artist, what a band. You know... I use an excuse to call London just so I can play the clash. Really, I do. Uh, Michael Quatch in London, Saturday morning, here to join us on Hi-Fi Radio. Michael, we had to speak with you. I needed to speak to someone with a global perspective. Fire and fury coming out of the mouth of President Donald Trump. Speared the markets, a little downward spiral. The Dow was off a couple hundred points on the fire and fury rhetoric. Uh, and in fact, Trump even went on to say he was light and easy on them. <laughs> <laughs> else could say something like that other than the donald um but uh you know jack and i looking at the numbers looking at the market weren't that rattled by we don't like to see the market pull back it's but hey you know the market's been strong longest rally uh of of this proportion in in a long time we're talking hundreds of days without the market correcting uh you know five ten percent so uh you know is this the beginning to a bit of a pullback uh what do you think no, there is a slight jitter in the market, and this is across all major markets, uh, on escalating concerns about North Korea. So you, you saw the S&P down this week, about 1.6% uh, as of close of Thursday. Um, you also saw government, the 10-year U.S. government bond yield fall to 2.21%, gold up 2%, and the VIX spiked up from 10 to 16 now, the, the real issue here is that um, in, in the past, tensions have flared up with North Korea, and then it's only have subsided afterwards. But why this might be a big deal in terms of the geopolitical tension is that this time, North Korea, in terms of the progress that they made, in terms of the weapons program, is quite significant. And if you look at the leaked U.S. intelligence report, which kicked this off in terms of the escalation, was that it highlighted that the nuclear threat to, uh, to U.S. mainland 
posed by North Korea was quite significant. So, uh, and then you also have the Trump factor, as you mentioned. So you're saying that the the threat is quite significant to uh, to mainland U.S. and the market's off one and a half percent. Do you not do you not think if it was more credible threat or uh, likely outcome that uh, the market would be off a little bit more than that? Yeah. So the, the, the way the market is, uh, the market is is taking it is that it thinks that given what's happened in the past presidents tension will kind of subside afterwards. And, and that's probably still the most likely case. But in terms of geopolitical risk, this is a big deal because uh, because of the progress made by North Korea. Now, it, it, the, the impasse that they have at the moment in terms of standoff is unlikely to, it's likely to kind of continue for some time now because North Korea, in terms of what they really want, in terms of why they want the nuclear uh, weaponry, is that they harbor doubts about its own survival if they don't have one. Uh, and then the other goal that they have is that North Korea wants to unify uh, the two Koreas together. And they think that they can you know, win in a conventional war against South Korea. And the only way that they can stop their external forces to interfere is that if they have a nuclear weapon. So in that way, that nuclear weapon provides them with an umbrella in terms of surviving the, you know, uh, the kind of carrying on with the dynasty and also unifying the, uh, the two Koreas together. So, so when you're talking so about North Korean survival there, um, Michael, you're talking about regime survival, not North Korea exactly. as a people, because it's the regime that everyone wants out. It's, uh, you know, the Kim Jong-un that is, is causing this, obviously, issue, and obviously the supreme leader that uh, the, the U.S. and basically the, the global um, the, the global leaders want to, to get out of power. Is that not correct? Exactly. It, it's a maintaining the dynasty that they want. Um, and then, you know, from, from a Trump's perspective, you know, past deals with Clinton, Obama and the Bush have just not worked. And so, you know, in some ways, the rhetoric that's coming out from Trump is aimed at China as opposed to North Korea. That's what I was going to get to, because China is the key here. They're the, they're the most influential with the North Koreans. They're their only trading partner. So, so what are you seeing coming out of China then? Yeah, no, I mean, China certainly just wants, uh, doesn't want uh, an escalation in terms of conflict, but it doesn't want to lose North Korea as well, because the main concern from China is that, you know, A, if there is a conflict, they're not going to stand by. Uh, Kevin Rudd, the former Prime Minister of Australia, just noted that. Uh, and essentially, and the reason for this is that China doesn't want a U.S. military presence uh, kind of right across its border. So um, it, in some ways, China wants a de-escalation of this, um, yeah. this conflict. Yeah, and like I said, they, they passed the resolution along with, uh, so it was China, Russia, U.S., uh, Security Council, they, they recently passed some uh, a resolution that restricted uh, trade, I guess, with North Korea. Is that not correct? Yes. Now, ideally, from a Chinese standpoint, they want um, they want the the North Koreans to back down, uh, yeah. and then they want the U.S. and South Korea to have a peace treaty uh, with North Korea, so that you know the the the, the Kim Dynasty remains. Incredible. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, we're, we're, we're live with uh, Michael Quach. He is with Canaccord. He's a member of the Asset Allocation Committee. Uh, what that means, asset allocation, is how much money should you put in cash, how much in bonds, and how much in stocks. And Jack and I are big proponents of the relevance of this. About 80% of the outcome is the asset mix. So we're going to pay some bills around here, and we're going to come back to Michael Quach live from London on Hi-Fi Radio right after this. 
Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640. Yeah, I wonder what Johnny Rotten would have had to say about those North Koreans right here, right now. Who knows? But Michael Quatch knows. Uh, live from London with the Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management Asset Allocation Committee. You know, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a member of the Asset Allocation Committee. That's why I told my buddies in the schoolyard, I'm sure. Michael, thank you for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio once again. Thanks for having me. So, um, based on everything you've been telling us with the uh, tensions... Uh, with, through, with North Korea, China, uh, America, we're in the month of August. The market's, you know, giving back a little bit, a little volatility this week. Uh, in terms of asset mix, do you react to this news or do you maintain your status quo course of asset allocation? No, the main the main focus. Well, whilst the geopolitical tension will continue, uh, and that's my belief, uh, the asset, you know, the focus will still be on economic and earnings growth. I've looked about, you know, in past kind of major geopolitical events involving the U.S. military uh, operations, it tend not to have a long-lasting uh, negative impact. So, if we look at the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, the Operation Desert Shield in 1990, uh, Gulf, the Gulf War in 91, the war in Iraq in 2003, essentially the market did fall off from 3 to 14 percent uh, in the three months before the event and the trough. But in all those four instances, markets recovered after six months following the event. And it recovered quite strongly from 6 to 25 percent and averaging out around 17 percent in terms of growth uh, and return uh, after six months. Uh, you, and, you know, Canada, what do you think about the Canadian market, Michael? Sorry, Jack, because you're on the other side of the pond. Um, you know, we, we don't got a lot going on here in Canada. We, we don't. Uh, but we, we, we have commodities. And Jack was just at our growth conference in Boston. And, uh, you know, we, we, we have a neutral to slightly pro-cyclical bias in how Jack and I manage money. And you're seeing some strength in copper. We saw a lot of strength in the Canadian dollar. Uh, crude remains stuck under 50 bucks. Uh, yet timber and, 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 and uh, uh, thousand board feet of, what kind of wood is that, Jack? I'm going to say softwood. Softwood, I, yeah, I, thousand I foot of know. softwood. That's right, <laughs> thousand board foot of softwood is trading near an all-time high. Uh, so there, there are green shoots of strength in, in, in the commodity landscape. Uh, what do you think the prospects are for, for Canada? Because again, our stock market's been stuck at the same level it was in 2008. We really have not advanced in eight years. Uh, give, give us your view on Canada. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. You know, I think materials w- would look as, uh, kind of interesting, uh, and it's one sector that I'll be favourable on. Uh, the reason, for, for, you know, in terms of the overall, if you look at the overall health of the global economy, the key there is looking at the U.S. and Chinese economy, and I think both on both those fronts, you know, they look solid and stable for now, and so therefore they will be supportive for kind of basic material. You're right, also in terms of the energy uh, and oil that that might be a slightly different kettle of fish in terms of supply and demand uh, kind of disruptions there. Mm-hmm. So I was say, Michael, just another thing, and then switching gears here for you, uh, back in the UK, uh, where are you guys at with Brexit and what's going on there? Because Europe's been doing quite well. Uh, Asia's been doing well. US is doing well. Canada's ho-hum, but we're getting dragged along with the rest of them. What's going on with Brexit and you guys uh, leaving the EU? Mm. 
I think you know the, um, the the negative economic forecast following the Brexit has starting to to kind of hit home, and then the real key here is in terms of inflation, uh, because of the fall in the currency in terms of the pound, it's mm. pushed up inflation in the economy, <laughs> and so therefore cons- consumptions becomes more difficult. So you got a bit, of, a bit of reality setting in, I guess, for you guys over there then, right? Exactly. What kind of inflation are you experiencing there? So at the moment we, we're experiencing about two and a half, just above two and a half. Uh, so and, and given wage growth is uh, below that, it means that real wage growth is, is negative, and so the consumption is therefore is is, is is muted in terms of its output. And so, what are your expectations for the Bank of England? I guess to to slow down that inflation, maybe raise rates a little bit, slow down the the economy and inflation at the same hmm. time. The, the, they're, they are in a difficult, you're right, Jack, they're in a difficult okay. dilemma in terms of, you know, they have very high inflation at the moment above its target rate of 2%, and yet growth is, is slowing down, and, and they've just revised down their kind of growth outlook as well. So uh, they're in a dilemma of, you know, what to do. They're hoping that the inflationary aspect will kind of uh, slow down in the next two or three years. So, so someone's going to have to tell uh, Carney, I guess, that hope's not a strategy, I guess. Right? <laughs> Uh, what do you think of what do you think of oil, Michael? Yeah, I, I think it's, you, you, I think it's, it's probably stuck in the range. Uh, the, the, the thing is that when, when you had real high price, kind of real price inflation in terms of oil uh, back in the late 1970s, you saw a supply disruption, and so you got real price kind of low level for the next 10, 15 years. And then in the last 10, 15 years, again, you have very strong oil price. And whether we've we've got into a period where there's more supply disruption uh, through kind of the shale gas, and also in terms of demand disruption, in terms of decarbonization and the electrical vehicles. And, and you know, in, if in five or 10 years' term, and you know, the cost for these batteries and electrical vehicles become more efficient, um, whether that demand side disruption will be significant. Yeah. Well, Jack was actually just at a conference and uh, meet with a few companies. What was the stat you heard on oil, Jack, in terms of uh, how it would be affected by batteries uh, by 2030? Just that it's being, um, I guess, over uh, over exaggerated. The fact that you know these electric vehicles are real. There's no doubt about that. Uh, the internet's real too. We all know that. But uh, you know, the amount of oil that we consume every day is is basically another. It's a million dollar or a million barrels extra per day per year, and then also we're also having to replace four million barrels uh, of decline per year. So net net, uh, oil's on the rise, and it's still going to be, I guess, the the main fuel source for the next thirty years. And uh, electric vehicles, although they're important, in the next by twenty thirty, like you said, I would expect oil barrels to be down maybe by. A million barrels per day because right. of electric. Yeah. So, and again, we have to remind ourselves: the world consumes today 100 million barrels of oil a mm. day. I repeat: 100 million barrels of oil consumed each and every day. So, what you're telling me, Jack, is if electric cars can take me, off me to, a signif- to a significant level, they would reduce oil consumption by one million barrels. Yeah, right. although we still have to replace but then we have to rep- 4 million barrels per day Correct. just on decline. Because of natural decline, yeah. So we have to keep drilling holes into mm-hmm. Mother Earth and or go offshore or shale or a combination thereof. But it's got to be economical. And that's the problem. A lot of this stuff isn't economical until it becomes economical, which means higher prices due to a supply response. And higher productivity. And, and, and higher productivity, yeah. Uh, it's a conundrum, and it's a whirlwind day. But it is Saturday morning, folks. And uh, I want to thank you very kindly for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio. It's been an absolute pleasure. Jack was back, giving us a little bit of sizzle to the steak of Hi-Fi Radio. I want to wish you a wonderful weekend, wonderful day, and I look forward to joining you each and every weekend right here on AM640.
You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640Toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.